The world as we know it has fundamentally changed. What was once considered the future of work is here now. We are operating in an all-digital, work-from-anywhere world. More and more consumers are supporting brands that align with their personal values. It's the values-driven firms that will rebound sooner and grow faster in this new world. Salesforce has partnered with Singapore Community Radio to bring you this podcast. We want to explore the opportunities and the challenges of this new world. We want to talk about the ways in which we will work going forward, how businesses can be a platform for change, and how technology will continue to impact the world. We have some amazing thought leaders, executives, and community advocates joining us, and we hope it sparks some inspiration and innovation for you. To learn more about us, you can head to our blog at salesforce.com/ap/blog. Hi, I'm Jess O'Reilly from Salesforce, and I have the privilege of hosting this podcast series, "The Future of Work Now." It's been quite a year for us in Asia Pacific, and we have come to the end of this series with a load of learnings. In this final episode, we're going to look back on some of the most impactful conversations and share a little bit about what I've learned over that journey. In season one, we focused on business as a platform for a change, focusing on equality and giving back. One of the most powerful episodes in the series is where we had Teresa go. Who talked about her journey as a Paralympian? She also talks about inclusivity for disabled people in Singapore and what else we can do to support them. What What do you think Singapore can do more about including、uh, people with disabilities? Um, I think as a general statement, there's a lot more that can be done. Um, just by just by. Um, I guess including more people with disabilities、uh, of different types of disabilities when you are think when you are、um, planning for stuff when you are building stuff when you are creating stuff、um, don't just think about what you think we need actually ask us <laughs>、um, you know、uh, don't say um I think this ram is fine and then when we go there like this ram is too steep <laughs> or, or done. did we or ask、like、you how your seating was before yeah this is fine <laughs>、um, but I also like I think just cause why I say like various disabilities also because even though I'm on a wheelchair like I'm pretty mobile and、um, pretty. I I move around pretty easily,、mm. and even if、uh, I need to get off my chair, I can.、Mm. So that's not something that everybody can do, you know. So I think it's it's really just about、um, diversity of、uh, opinions and needs that you need to ask for. I think、um, we are constantly get progressing, right? I think when it comes to accessibility in Singapore, I think we're getting better. I think I am. I, I feel like Singapore has allowed also me to be independent because of the the public transport system is pretty good. I I can go around by bus and train pretty easily. We learned more about Ebony's career and how she carved a unique position at Salesforce, where creating a culture of compassion, giving back, and supporting communities is equally as important as a company's bottom line. So it's is that. Has the pandemic changed the focus in that sense for for Salesforce a bit, or has it accelerated your community projects? It's kind of a yes and a no. We were already doing 
a lot of this work. We were serving um, those who are hard hit, working in underserved communities already um, with our focus areas. But when COVID hit, we, we felt that we needed to do more. So we, we took very immediate action, um, but we also had to think about our long-term strategy. So in the short term, for example, we reached out to all of our grantees and, we, and it was very simple. We just asked the question, how can we help? What do you need? Um, and they, they let us know. And, and not only were we able to provide resources, but we were able to rally others, um, other nonprofits and other organ corporations and say, Here, here's what the need is. And together we can you know, start filling some of these gaps. We also set up a fund for our grantees because we recognize that our grantees will be impacted. You know, you think about a lot of the nonprofits having um, in-person fundraisers. They're no, that's where they get a lot of the revenue, right? They need to pay their staff. And so we wanted to make sure that we, we help offset that for them. So this fund helped with their short-term needs. And then we took a look at those other immediate needs. We started supporting organizations working on the front lines of COVID-19. We delivered PPE, millions and millions of PPE all around the world, which is really cool to be a part of that. And as we mentioned early, we spun up because in the middle of a pandemic, we had racial equality and injustice. Uh, and so we also spun up uh, a racial equality and justice task force uh, really focused around taking urgent action against uh, racism, violence, and hate that was going on uh, in the US and then globally. In season two, we focused on all digital, work from anywhere world, basically our new normal. 2020 was a roller coaster year where work will never be the same for everyone. In this episode, Valas spoke about how the pandemic has impacted us we came out with five great lessons about the future of work. I think that uh, our research shows that majority of people want to have a hybrid model. They actually want to be able to work in the office and at home. Only about, uh, if I recall the last research that we published a few months ago, only about 25% of respondents want to permanently work from home. So three quarters, three out of four people want to have the option of working some days in the office and some days remotely. In fact, there are, there's some percentage that want to go permanently back to the office because they don't have a quiet space. They don't have the ability to really achieve their full potential by where they are now. And offices, like you said, you know, offices at my company are amazing. You have a, you know, you have a meditation room. You have all food and drink available to you at no cost. Uh, they're typically the most beautiful buildings in the center of the most fantastic cities around the world. So, you know, Salesforce is famous for having some of the most amazing workspace anywhere in the world. Yeah. So, so I can understand why, you know, 54,000 employees, a large percentage, would want to get back to the ping pong tables and mindfulness rooms and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, so I spent time when I'm in the office before pandemic, we have a library. So at lunch, I would read books. We had massive amounts of books available to our employees. So there were certain perks. And, and I don't think these perks define our logic, you know, our, our culture, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a laundry service and food and, and ping pong table. That's not your culture. Yep. It's not your guiding principles and your core values. It just speaks to how much the company cares about employees in terms of making sure that they work and, and play and, and you know, have that balance. So to answer your question, I think you will continue to see companies invest in fantastic workspace 
for those companies that care about their employees and Certainly, I can speak to my company as uh, one that absolutely uh, cares about its employees. Uh, but at the same time, I think you'll see stronger investments in technologies like cloud computing technologies, mobile and social technologies, not just video conferencing technologies, but additional technologies, for example, machine learning algorithms that allow you to enhance contextual intelligence while you're remotely and digitally engaging with your stakeholders. There's tremendous amount of investment in terms of augmenting intelligence for sales professionals, marketing professionals, customer service professionals, and IT and commerce by infusing a deep in, uh, algorithms in terms of business software applications that we use. So, uh, you know, our company is investing tremendously in terms of improving the tools we use whether you're in the office or not. So working from anywhere is going to be a, an incredible competitive advantage for companies that are going to successfully compete in this next normal. Mental health became one of the most important issues that we all faced during circuit breaker and lockdowns across the world. During this episode, Shwetli shared that one of the most common misconceptions about mental health is that it only just relates to mental illness. I think we can all agree that this is wrong because there's such a broad spectrum of mental health challenges that people experience. Yeah, so um, you again have to make that very, very deliberate step of disengaging when you need to. Um, so even with my own team um, in our space of mental health, and we've been so busy this year and having to to change up and, and to transition over into new ways of doing the work that we do. Um, so all of us, we've, we've gone through various stress levels as well. Um, but I've reminded them that they do have annual leave yeah. and your annual leave is there for a purpose. Yeah. So no doubt we are stuck in Singapore, but you still can take a day off. Yeah. So um, they have, you know, been trying as much as possible yeah. to do that, but I, I seriously have encouraged them to do that. Um, and uh, you must. So um, by analogy, um, I would say, I would use this example of um, the aeroplane experience. When we get onto a plane, right? Yeah. Um, and you watch them do their life jacket stuff. So they always tell you, if you are an adult and you have a child next to you, always pull the mask over because you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of another. Yep. So it's the same thing here. If you, are, if you don't know how to uh, uh, take care of yourself um, in the workplace or rather trying to find that balance between the work and your personal life, you will not be in the right place in order to take care of your family or your loved ones around you. Redesigning workspaces in the new normal. Heikel and Fiza discuss employee psyche and well-being as people head back to the office, planning for flexible workspaces in this new normal. Hey, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go into too much detail on it. It's on our website, but just so that you have an understanding of the different things that we look at. So we look at, for example, space planning. Okay. Right, social distancing. There's now technology that allows you to sort of calculate social distancing and to do zoning to create little neighborhoods for teams when they work. Yep. Uh, materiality, which is, for example, the kind of contact surfaces that you have, mm -hmm. antibacterial surfaces, the kind of dividers that you can have between desks to sort of like, you know, like gives more of a gap between people who are sitting. Technology, okay. which is a huge thing in everything that we do, contactless sort of technology from booking a meeting room to mm -hmm. ordering coffee 
to, you know, like how do you make it in a way that there's not so many touch points. And the whole thing is then to codify culture and behavior. So you through design can have nudging techniques, influence how people walk through a space. Um, Because the overall umbrella theme around all of this is well-being. Yep. And well-being is a huge thing for us, right? The employees' well-being at work, that they have to feel safe and motivated at work. So we use a lot of like biophilia. Yep. Biophilia is like using nature okay. to get people to feel a sense of like calm. We've had like, you know, water walls. We've had like lots of greenery to be used to divide spaces. But when you look at these things put together, it gives a space where employees feel safe, they feel innovative, and they feel that they can collaborate. And then they know that the company is looking after them, right? That's yep. the key thing. In season three, we talked about the digital imperative, the importance of tech and data. We saw the conversation shift into the impact of technology and data. Peter spoke about how businesses are in a state of transition. They are considering when and to what extent employees will return to the office. He also predicted that video conferencing will be considerably better in a, a year from now. There'll also be new technologies for applications like learning, medicine, and even socialization. Um, so what is your outlook on workplaces amidst the pandemic and post-pandemic? Um, is remote the new norm or something that's temporary? So far as to say, it's either temporary or the new norm. I think we've begun a process of change. We're not going back to the old world, right? So not everybody is going back to the office the way we were, say, uh, 18 months ago before the pandemic. Um, when the pandemic hit, the world changed course into the future. What it did was to change the calculus of what we do from home versus what we do in the office or in the doctor's office or in the classroom or in the shop. Now, the honest truth in Singapore, I think it will not change as much as it will say in the United States. Uh, the average Singaporean doesn't have the option of moving to a slightly more remote location easily. In Cal you know, my home is in California, I'm working out of Hawaii, no big deal, right? We spoke to Stuart about the changes in retail and learned that his company, Hula, was created to help retailers solve for four critical challenges. Getting customers to visit their store, getting them to buy, getting them to put more in their basket, and of course, getting them to come back and buy more again. So. Right. You touched on something really interesting before about millennials and uh, responsibility and how parents like that. And mm. Hula has something called responsible affordability. What does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that, it's interesting, this space, you know, we've sort of seen it quite a lot. You know, the, the lending space, for example, you know, it can be quite aggressive around uh, the business models, you know, making money um, from, you know, people going into default or, or experiencing mm. bad debt. I mean, when we looked at building this business, you know, right from the very beginning, you know, responsible affordability was the, I guess, the value that we wanted to create. It sits in our, um, it, it sits in our vision statement for the business is, is something that we want to. You uh, actually want people to pay you back. You, correct. Yeah, yeah. From Avis, we learned so much about the impact of data and marketing and how marketers are constantly tweaking, asking more important questions to be able to listen and meet their customer demands. Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting that once you have the data, it always makes you ask better questions. And that is the real um, beauty of teaching mm -hmm. people because you teach them to ask better questions. And when people come back to me and they go, I really want to talk to my active customers only because my lax customers are going to get a different message. I'm like, yes, I win. We've, yeah. we've actually got there. 
In season four, we discuss tech in hyperspeed, paving the way forward with tech and people. I particularly like this season because I got to be the host. Technology is here to stay and it can only help us live, work and play better. I caught up with Tableau's Rob Wickham to learn more about the three fundamentals of data literacy and culture, as well as building a data culture that will help companies succeed. Right. And literacy in and of itself is, can you read and understand data? Can you make sense of it? Can you ask the right questions? Can you fundamentally become a data detective? Right. And when we, when we talk to customers about creating a data culture, we, we encourage them to think about three fundamental pieces to the puzzle. The first is you got to build trust. The second is you got to cultivate talent. And the third is you got to drive, particularly for the leaders within the organization, you've got to drive commitment from the top down that that's pervasive. Yeah. So let's take each one of those in turn. First one, you got to build trust and trust has a couple of different facets. One is you got to trust the people within the organization to be the custodians of the data, the yeah. notion of data playgrounds as opposed to data prisons. And those two words should describe what I mean. I also spoke with Aisha Khanna about her journey with Addo AI and how artificial intelligence is not simply a buzzword that is bandied around today. She sheds light on the 21st century team and how successful businesses today need the trifecta of the business person, the technology person, and the machine to thrive. I also really loved Aisha's passion around women in tech and what she's doing to train young girls in STEM. We want more women walking the hallways in this industry. The, the trend has been ongoing for a long time, which is that technology is now at the forefront of any decision that you make. That means that it's not the back office, that your team, regardless of what you do, whether you are opening a restaurant, you're making a film, or you're running a deep tech company, you need to have your business people sit together with your technology people. And that's the only way you can form any kind of product or service. And people have realized that. The companies, who have, there are instances of companies who have thrived in the pandemic and those that have failed mm. and those who have thrived have been able to leverage technology to be agile resilient and adaptive but now there's something new as well the 21st century team has a new player so there's the business person there's a technology person and now there is the machine itself and we have to learn to work with this machine. It could be an AI agent that is supporting you in your daily decision making. It could literally be a robot in your warehouse. Um, you know, and what we need to understand is that this AI brings something to the table. It brings the ability to mine huge amounts of data, which are now available and it is cheaper to compute on them. And it is able to not only give insights, but also make recommendations because mm. of neural networks and deep neural networks. But we have to treat it like a colleague. And people think when I say that, I mean, oh, you should hug it and, you know, just like believe everything it says. It's quite the contrary. Think about your normal office relationship. You know, you go to the watering hole or to get coffee and your colleague says something. And you're quite open to it. You know, that's not a bad idea. Or sometimes your colleague says something and your instinct says, no, that's not going to work for my mm. business. And that is precisely how, as humans, we work and how we must work with machines. When they recommend something, instead of saying, 
oh, that's a machine. It must know what it's doing, even though humans like Aisha programmed it. Um, we have to be open to its recommendations and in a very agile way experiment. And that's why you experiment different ideas with customer groups, but also be critical. Mm. We must also think, is this biased? Does this not sound right? Um, you know, is there something instinctively or strategically or culturally that I think this will not sit well with my customers? And when that happens, you have to go back and you have to look at the numbers again. You have to rethink it. And usually what I find is that teams vacillate between two extremes. I love the AI or I hate the AI. But the fact is, if it's going to live with you for the next hundreds of years, we have to have a more balanced relationship with mm. it. And um, this trifecta is a 21st century team. And those who literally make every team have these three pillars, they are the ones that will succeed in the future. That is the future of work. Mm. You know what? I would have highlighted more sessions, but we only have one episode to do the wrap up. I've loved being the host for this series. And I can tell you, I've learned so much from my conversations with Rob, Aisha and Soraj. I'd like to thank all of the speakers and hosts who have taught us so much about business as a platform for change, working from anywhere, the digital imperative and tech in hyperspeed. I hope you have learned as much as I have. Until the next time, I'm Jess O'Reilly and I'm signing off.